0: Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. So mental health is, uh, is an interesting uh, topic. I, I think the, the, the Christian church doesn't talk nearly enough about it. And the reality is that hope is what we all need, it's what we all want, because life is hard, life is hard. Even if you're in a season right now of blessing and abundance and comfort and ease, praise God, we need those kinds of seasons in our life. I'll say that again, Uh, God is not against comfort, he's against the idol of comfort, okay? So if you're in a season right now where everything is clicking and it's all working, praise God. But if you're like me, you've had those mountaintop experiences, those seasons in life, and you've also had those low points in life. The message that I want to deliver today is basically the last four years of my family's life. So I didn't pull this out of the archives, okay? This is something that's fresh, that God has really been teaching me. And and my wife Cassandra, I've got a picture, by the way, of our family here. Just so, uh, Cassandra, there is my wife, and then Olive is our oldest. Opal is our middle kid, and then Avit is our son, like the Avit brothers. And I always get asked, "Did you really name your son after the Avit brothers?" And the answer is yes, <laughs> I, I did, and I have no shame about that at all. Cassandra won't tell anybody that. Anytime someone, like, says his name, is Avet? Avant. Avid, she just looks at me and is like, "You have to tell them you picked this out." So, but this is uh, that's our family, and like Jared said, uh, we started. Uh, we spent about 10 years in the ministry. Most recently, uh, missionaries in Amsterdam. We moved back a couple years ago, and I started a construction business, which is what I'm I'm doing currently. And when the opportunity comes up, I feel like uh, the Lord has led me. When when churches want me to come and and, and share, uh, that's what I do. In, uh, in my free time when 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 a church asks. So I want to talk to you today about hard times because we all will enter into that season. There's a season for everything in our life. So then how do we, if you're in a hard spot right now, things are difficult, life doesn't make a lot of sense, maybe you're even in a state of full-blown depression. Um, I I really think that God is going to speak to you. If you'll just open your heart and go, just maybe this God wants to give me some victory and some healing, just maybe. If you'd open your heart, I, I think you're going to get something out of it. And if you're in a season where it's like, really, things are good, then praise God. Take these principles and let them sink deep into your heart so that when the hard times hit, um, they don't have to be as hard as we make them sometimes. Sometimes if we would just obey God and believe him and have faith, the hard times become a lot more manageable um, and victory and those change breaking becomes a lot more of a reality in our life. So there's two beliefs um, that lay the foundation for hope. And before we get into Psalm 27, I, I want to talk about those, but there's two beliefs. Now the first one is a belief that Our God is always with us. Our God is always with us through mountains and valleys. If you're like me, it's easy when life gets hard to believe that God is mad at you or that he's rejecting you. Maybe you're in here tonight and the shame uh, that you feel as a result of your sin has so disconnected you from this loving father that it's hard for you to imagine that God actually wants to be with you. It's hard for you to imagine that God actually knows your sin and still loves you. You see, our God is always with us through mountains and valleys. He doesn't reject us when life gets hard. In fact, Scripture teaches us the exact opposite. Romans 8, we'll spend a little bit of time there. Romans 8, verse 1. Many of you might know this one. If not, what a, what a beautiful promise from God. And as I read this, make a decision for yourself in the privacy of your mind. This is either true or it is not. So this verse I'm about to read is either true or it's not. So now there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you feel like God's condemning you? Do you feel like God hates you? He's mad at you. He's like this weird, mythical, grandpa-like wizard figure up in the clouds, just taking note of everything you do so that he can punish you because you are a weak loser that only makes bad decisions. You know, we laugh at that, and that maybe is a little bit of a caricature, but if you actually look at the choices we make, how we talk to God how we relate to our faith community, a lot of us feel like God is that kind of a distant figure. And the reality is, for those who know Jesus, there is no condemnation. We are free. Free. What a promise. Keep going in the chapter 35 uh, through 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Well, does it? Stop and think about that. The last time that you really you remember life was hard, life was difficult, something was painful. Did that mean that God didn't love us? That he was gone? or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. And these early disciples, they really were threatened with death. A lot of them died preaching the gospel. So they knew hard times. Paul understood life being hard. Verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. All right, I'm gonna make you do something I do with my kids, all right? When I, when I teach my kids something, I make, it, I make them repeat it back to me. So on the count of three, say overwhelming victory. One, two, three. What? That was weak. Overwhelming victory. <laughs> that, that sounded like you meant it. Let's try that again with a little bit more belief behind it. One, two, three. Overwhelming victory. Now, you either do have that, as God's word promises, or you don't. You either do or you don't. That that promise is either true or it's not. When life has been the darkest for me, it's when I've forgotten about this promise. When the hard seasons tend to last a lot longer than they should, it's because I forget about this promise. Now, this promise doesn't mean that life is easy. But it does mean That our difficult times, our circumstances, those seasons of life that hurt, they don't win. They don't win. Jesus echoed the Father's heart in Matthew chapter 28, and he said, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That promise is either true or it's not. And if you're like me, Mental health and just my thought life in general, that inner dialogue that I have going on all the time. How many of you have a really active inner dialogue? Like you're always thinking, like it's difficult to stop that wheel from turning, that hamster on that wheel. It's tough, isn't it? To always have the, the motor running. That's how I am. My wife, I'm so jealous of her. We can go on an eight-hour road trip, okay, okay? Complete silence, no radio, nothing. She'll just be looking out the window, and I ask her, Hey, you've been quiet over there, what's on your mind? Nothing. I'm like, Wow. And I've told her this, what a gift that is that you literally have nothing on your mind. That's a gift. I'm not that way. It's always going. And so, for you folks that have these really active thought lives, you have to remind yourself about God's promises even more because you're constantly bombarded with stuff. These promises from God in Romans reveal to us that God loves us and will not abandon us. Many of us know the pain of feeling abandoned, but we can trust that God will not do that to us. The second belief that lays the foundation for hope is that our Father makes purpose out of pain purpose out of pain. Back to Romans 8, verse 28. He says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. See, God has a purpose in your life. You may not feel that right now. You may say, if someone asked me point blank, what's your purpose in life? I would not know what to say. That may be true, you may not know what to say, but God does. God has a purpose for your life. If you would have told me 10 years ago when I graduated from school and I was going into youth ministry that one day I would be back at the church I used to work at, but I would actually be a roofer. I I would not know how to make sense of that story. But the truth is, God writes better stories than you and I ever could. And God makes purpose out of our pain. James chapter 1 says this, verses 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I'll just stop right there and just revisit that one real quick. Consider it an opportunity for great joy when your life gets hard. That's my paraphrase. My natural instinct is the exact opposite. When my life gets hard, I tend to isolate myself. uh, My faith community hears from me less. Uh, I get into some self-destructive behavior like we all do. Those late night runs to Taco Bell, you know what I'm talking about? They're so good for you. Consider it an opportunity for great joy when troubles come your way. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect or mature and complete, needing nothing. So a mature, unwavering faith makes us more like Jesus, which is the Father's ultimate heart for us, right? Right? He wants us to become more like his son, Jesus. Why? Why does God want us to be more like Jesus? Why does God want us to have uh, this unwavering uh, faith that, is, uh, that has endurance, that's been tested? Because in faith, there's freedom. There's freedom. Jesus said for freedom, I have what? Set you free. There's freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from fear. Anybody ever had that feeling of just fear sweeping over you? There's freedom in faith. There's freedom. Freedom from anxiety. We have any worriers out here? Any nail biters? I'm one. I'm a worrier big time. I worry about stuff that even on my best day, I would have no shot at controlling the outcome. I worry about people as if I could somehow single-handedly be Jesus to them and direct the outcome of their life. I have three kids. I worry about their futures. I worry about climate change. I worry about landfills. I worry about best practices. I worry about making sure my insurance is paid. I worry, and I'm a people pleaser too on top of it. So I worry about what that person thinks of me. What was their tone in that text? I I really hope they respond soon. I can see that they read it and they haven't responded in like hours. What did I do? Did I say something? I'm expert at being anxious. Maybe you are too. But in faith there's relief. There's rest. There's freedom. There's freedom from control. Any control freaks out here? Yep. You know how you can prove that this room is full of control freaks because you wouldn't raise your hand? Do you get it? I will not let you force me to raise my hand. Okay? I'm the same way. I like to control outcomes. I like to manage scenarios and circumstances and people. Generally, I don't like it when people don't do what I want Generally, I don't like it when my plans get changed. I don't like it when I thought I was heading here and I had a clear path there, but then some, you know, life takes me this way. I don't like that. I lose that control. But in faith, there's freedom. Control is an illusion and a burden. It's not real. The reality is, and I don't mean to be morbid, I could walk out of here and get you know, going back home to Carthage, I could get hit by a, a semi, and it would all be over. I can't control that. In faith, there's freedom. Finally, the idol of security. Does anybody ever lose sleep at night because of how much money's in your bank account? About your student loans? How am I going to do that? How am I going to make that? Anybody lose sleep at night? Because you don't know what your career path is. Don't know if your job is going to last, if you're going to get that raise, if you're going to be able to move into that house. We all struggle with that. But God's ultimate purpose is to get us to the point that Jesus was at in the garden before he was arrested, betrayed, murdered. Said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. When we lose our life in faith, we actually find it. So, with those two beliefs that God is always with us and that God makes purpose out of our hard times, we get into Psalm 27. So, the question is how do we walk in this hope, this victory that is ours? How do we do that during the hard times of life? Psalm 27 gives us the keys. In this psalm, David, he's the author, gives us the attitude and the mindset it takes to remain hopeful during times of pain and trouble. And I want to I clarify something for, for those of you who've been in church for a long time or if, if you're really new to the Christian faith. David is uh, my favorite character in the Bible. Other than Jesus, I have to say that, okay? But David is my favorite character in the Bible because he's so real, I mean, He was miserably flawed, but courageously faithful at the same time. He was a celebrated cultural icon due to his military success. Uh, But he also got called out publicly uh, for having an affair with one of his soldiers' wives. You know, that's a mountaintop in a valley. He had to endure the loss of his own children, the death of his own children. But then he also had the mountaintop of being able to lead God's people in massive worship services. So he's the perfect guy to talk to us about hope in the hard times because he's not just this blurry Bible figure. He got it. So this psalm uh, is organized, in, in the way I see it, into five key words or principles. Um, and so what we'll do with the rest of our time is we'll just go through those uh, and I hope these encourage you. They they totally have encouraged me. So the first one is perspective. My father is greater. My father is greater. You're going to notice as we go through these five words that they all start with my father. These principles. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our father. When you're going through something very difficult in life, you cannot lose this. God is your father, and he has a father's heart toward you. He loves you. The love I have for Olive, Opal and Avid is only a reflection and a dim, a shadowy one at that compared to God's father's heart for me. When you're going through something hard, you've got to remember, God is your father, and he loves you. So the first one is perspective. My father in heaven, my father is greater than my circumstances. Perspective means to come out of something, to come above, to get a a different vantage point on it. And we see in Psalm 27 where David does this. uh, Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? You see, he does something very important here. He compares temporary stuff to eternal stuff. Okay? Our struggles are temporary, right? The hard seasons in life, they're temporary. Our hope is eternal. Our salvation, our freedom, our victory, it will last. Our struggles will pass, but our hope will last. Verse two, when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Whether it be some people in your life that are attacking you, if you're aware of that or not, we're all being spiritually attacked all the time. And there's no way around that. How do you explain the evils that we see in this world if, if spiritual darkness and spiritual war is not real? But David says, even though all this stuff is going on around me, all this darkness, all this pressure, all this tension, I will remain confident, not because of his own abilities. Remember, this is the guy who made a lot of mistakes in his life. He knew it's because his Father in heaven was greater than his circumstances. Verse 13, he says, yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. What he's saying there is, uh, I know it feels like when you're in a hard time, I'm gonna die before this is over. (laughs) Like before this season of life ends and something and the light starts to show again, I just feel like it's gonna all be over. David says, no, 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 I know one day, one day, hope is coming, hope's coming, God's coming, he's gonna rescue me, he's gonna be there. He's gonna be there. Second word, priorities, my father shows me the path. We all have to have priorities uh, when we go through uh, our lives, we all have priorities, and what David does here is he gives us Uh, the healthy priorities for going through a difficult time. Verse four, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, so when we start talking about the stuff that we're seeking, we're talking about priorities, right? The thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections, meditating in his temple. Verse six, then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, catch this, he's going through something difficult and what does he prioritize in his life? At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. I won't make you raise your hands and admit this, but if you've ever been uh, in a tough season of life and uh, you found yourself drifting out to sea away from church away from the christians in your life. I've been there. I've done that. But David says actually, if you want some freedom, you want to enjoy some victory, you want to you want to have hope like deep down where it counts, you have to lean further into your faith. May not make sense, may not be comfortable. It, it's going to definitely cost you something. You're going to have to give some stuff up. That's just life. There's no victory without sacrifice. We all recognize that. But you, you want to lean deeper into this group of people. You want to lean deeper into the worship of God. Even if you don't feel like it. Okay? Our generation, I don't, I don't even know if I'm part of your generation. This is the young adults. I, I haven't crossed the mid-30 boundary yet. So do, do I still count, Jared? Okay. Well, as young adults, uh, we, we make a lot of our deci- decisions based on the way something feels. The problem with that uh, kind of reasoning is that when life is hard, maybe something is going on in your family, something's going on physically, financially, health-wise, I don't know. Got a relationship that's falling apart, The problem is, in those valleys, we always feel bad. And the key to surviving them with victory and hope is to not base our decisions off the way that we feel. To get up out of bed, to come to church, to sing those songs, not half-heartedly, but with everything that you can muster. And to lean deep into your faith community. The, pr- the right priorities. Sometimes the best thing to do is to sit down with a piece of paper and write down everything you're thankful for. It'll show you real quick um, that God is actually taking better care of you than, than you think. And when you see that, for me at least, visually, when I see all these people's names, and all these blessings that have come into my life, and they're written down right there in front of me, it helps me go, all right, Lord, I do need to prioritize you in my life. You really are there for me. Desperate people tend to do desperate things. So when you're, when you're making decisions during difficult times, it's good to slow down and ask God, what's the next right thing you want me to do, Lord? I don't know what's gonna happen three days from now, but I do know I need your help for this decision. What's the next right thing you want me to do? Third, prayer. My Father hears me. My Father hears me. Verse seven, hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. See how honest David is? He's reverent, but he's honest. God, I feel like you're rejecting me. You've always been there for me, but it feels like you're rejecting me and it feels like you're angry at me. And you see, David, he touches on this reality that's true for you and it's true for me. It's unseen. It's supernatural, but it's it's so comforting that God is always whispering to each of us. Come and talk with me. Come and talk with me. If you can't hear his voice, position your heart to where you can. If there's distractions in your life, maybe those distractions are relationships, are bad habits. I don't know. We all have our list. But God is speaking to you. Come and be with me. I'm your father. I know you better than anybody. I know what tomorrow holds for you. I know the plans I have for you. And I'm going to complete those. I've started working in you. And I'm not giving up on you just like I would never give up on one of my kids so he's reverent but he's honest look at verse 9 do not turn your back on me do not reject your servant in anger you have always been my helper i remember um I I, I remember being told this story. I wasn't old enough to to actually remember it, but um, my mom, I I love her. Uh, She's such a blessing to me. Um, But early on in my life, she had a substance abuse problem. And this story goes like this. Uh, We lived on the third floor of an apartment complex, and I was two or three years old. Two or three, so I could walk, all right? And I could talk a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. And the story... Is uh, my my mom had uh, either was gone, had left, or had had maybe passed out at our apartment, and I had walked down all three flights of stairs, um, and walked down to a laundromat and crawled inside one of the dryers. Two or three years old. God has always been my helper. God has always been my helper. God has always been your helper. And if, if you're able to turn the volume down just enough to look back on your life in maybe an unjaded way, you're going to see his hand in ways that you never have before. Perseverance, that's the fourth one. My father will protect me. My father will protect me. Where does a child run for protection? Like during a thunderstorm, they run to mom or dad and they hop in their lap. We think about Jesus in the boat with his disciples and they're freaking out. The waves are going to capsize their boat. Naturally, Jesus is taking a nap. And when he wakes up, when he's woken up, what's his response? What does he ask them about? What does he go straight to? Faith. Why is your... Why is your faith so fragile, guys? You know who I am, right? I'm gonna protect you. And when the storms of life hit you, and when nothing makes sense, and you don't know the path to take, and you feel like you have no aim or no direction, and the unknown is scary, which is natural. It's natural to be scared of what we don't know. Just know that your Father is going to protect you, and so you can persevere. You can stay the course. Hang in there. Cassandra's grandpa, uh, Grandpa Bill, before he passed away, he told something to me. He said, well, when when you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. And that's always stuck with me. Persevere. Don't give up on your faith. Don't give up on God. Help is coming. Finally, finally, patience, patience. And it's beautiful that that David ends the Psalm this way. Verse 14, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous, yes, wait patiently for the Lord. We are not, uh, as Americans, our culture does not uh, value patience. We like microwaves, not ovens, right? We like credit cards, not cash that we save up. We throw a fit when Netflix won't load fast enough. And we often look at patience as this really passive position, as if waiting on God shows weakness. But David teaches the exact opposite. It shows bravery and courage when, you, when you're able to stand up and say, I'm going to wait on God to move. I'm going to wait on him. I'm not gonna try to run ahead. I'm not gonna bulldoze my life. I'm not gonna try to control the outcomes because I'm all nervous and anxious. No, I'm gonna slow down. And I'm just gonna trust, I'm gonna let go. I'm gonna do the next right thing. I'm gonna lean into my faith community. I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray honestly. I'm going to stay the course. And I'm going to wait on my father because I know he's coming for me. I know he's going to help me. Here's a thought that I want to close with. Research has has shown, it's unequivocal, that our idea of God is a projection of our experience with our earthly father. Some of us have had wonderful experiences with our earthly fathers, praise God for that. That's the dad I'm trying to be. My biological father, he, my, my mother and, and, and he divorced when I was three, he moved 30 minutes away, started a brand new family and I don't know the man. So it's possible, right, that this this father in heaven who says, come and be with me, I'm here for you, I'm your fortress, I want to give you hope and victory, it's possible that you're selling him short. It's possible that he actually does love you, that he actually wants you to come and just say, father. Father. Dad, I can't do this anymore. I I need you. And that may at first feel uncomfortable and awkward, but the freedom that is about to flood into your life at that moment of repentance and that moment of surrender is what we all want deep down. I appreciate how attentive you've all been. Please Bow your heads for me and and just close your eyes.